Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. My name is Spencer Walsh. We have a great episode for you today. As always, here is what we have on the agenda. Mitch McConnell with a big statement in the Senate today saying the Capitol assault was provoked by Trump. A clear condemnation and what for a lot of members could be seen as a green lighting of a vote to convict on impeachment. We look ahead to the inauguration and the new president, Joe Biden, what he's promised to do on day one and his first 100 days as president. We're going to rate his priorities. Um, also, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer working out their power sharing agreement in the Senate. We're going to discuss that. Also, the hilarious uh, and really batshit insane, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. Or, I don't hate to say it, but the last days of the Trump White House and a nice story about who Tucker Carlson has been hanging out with. It is a little bit of surprising for that that um, big time populist who always rails about the wars in the military industrial complex and how bad all of that stuff is and how bad or how great Trump is for not starting any wars. He was actually seen at dinner in George W. Bush's home. That seems to be a little bit revealing. We're going to talk about that and um, some great, great Trump story I'm really looking forward to sharing on the show later. All right. Welcome in, everybody. It's Newsflash 472. And with us today, we have James Stanley. James, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so we do start with a very consequential story today. Um, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, he has been said to ever since the Capitol. Uh, he really has been debating. And I think this is – we really have to break this down, I think, for really what it is, um, which is a complete, like, calculated abandonment. He's taken the time since January 6th. He's weighed his options. He's been – been in touch with all the tentacles of the Republican Party, the corporate leaders, the the big donors, and all those people pretty much sticking his finger to the wind for a good chunk of his caucus and saying, is it worth it if I abandon this president? And is it worth it if I say, you know what, it's about time, we got to get Trump out of the party because he's going to start to become a problem for us. He has lived his usefulness he's outlived his usefulness and needs to be put down in a, a kind of a very aggressive way which is a large uh, p- uh part of the republican caucus voting to impeach uh and that is going to be interesting to see i don't know what the schedule is for the trial uh but he's doing it in his own way and this is a pretty remarkable thing that he did today saying this um he said the mob was fed lies uh, on the Senate floor today, referring to an attempt by Trump to overturn the election based on bogus claims. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. They tried to use fear and violence to stop specific proceedings of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. Uh, McConnell made the remarks on uh, the last full day, his last full day as majority leader, speaking on the eve of President-elect Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s inauguration as the, and as the Senate was bracing to receive a single article of impeachment from the House charging Trump with incitement of insurrection. So the Kentucky Republican has indicated privately that he believes that Trump has committed impeachable offenses, but he has yet to decide whether to vote to convict the president. And many senators in his party are awaiting for a sign from Mr. McConnell before making their own judgments. He controls, unsurprisingly, a significant block of this party. And this big statement, uh, at least to me, seems like a decision has been made at the upper echelons of the conservative movement. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing as well is a lot of people are thinking like Mitch McConnell is doing this all for himself um, in, in regards to like, oh, look at how independent he is now. But I think you pretty much said it perfectly. Like he's just doing it because, you know, two I think yeah, literally two weeks ago, um, corporate PACs started to announce that they were yes. going to be backing off of, you know, donating to uh, the Republicans. And Rick Scott, of all people, because he runs the RFCC, the Republican Senate um, campaign committee, he just got actually elected to that this year. He's in a bit of a hot seat because he was one of the senators who actually, quite frankly, had the audacity to vote against certifying the Pennsylvania electors. Um, so this whole thing is definitely not because Mitch McConnell is, is independent or as many pundits say, oh, look at how much Mitch has really, you know, kind of stepped away from Trump. No, he's doing it all for the calculation of the Republican Party. I mean, they lost Senate control in a state, well, from a state, excuse me, not in a state, from a state that, quite frankly, should have gone to the Republicans. I mean, yeah, I think Warnock and Ossoff are, are pretty good candidates. I think Warnock, is, at least I'm not going to say Ossoff necessarily is. But you have to admit, you know, like three months ago, we would never expect the Democrats to win both seats in Georgia. And, you know, there's, there's a, there was a lot of things that occurred after the election and that Mitch McConnell, I think, definitely had a lot of personal grievances towards but he definitely wasn't voicing them because there was no political calculation for him to say you know you got to stop with these fraud things until the capital literally i mean got bombarded by these far-right extremists i mean just you know just think about that for a second i mean you know everyone's like oh he has the independence well see the thing is though he doesn't because he only did it when it was a good calculation for himself and for his party which is something that i think you know in regards to this impeachment trial i think that's the reason why he's saying he's more open to um, looking at the options rather than just immediately shutting it down like he quite frankly typically would um so you know that's just nothing i had to add in regards to that yeah, and it's going to be interesting. Like, do you, have you heard of any like in terms of the Republicans and your knowledge of the Republicans in the Senate? Can there be seventeen votes properly mustered here? Well, see, the thing is, I I can see. Um, well, Lisa Murkowski actually shockingly, yes, that's one I can definitely see. But that's not that's you know now we got sixteen more. Susan Shaken Collins um, is a really iffy here because she is like on the fence from what I've been able to understand. Um, and I don't necessarily see any type of reasoning to see her voting against, but I don't really see any reason for her to vote for it. Um, I think at the end of the day, I think she probably will end up voting for it, given, you know, it's probably not going to get to 17. So it's more of like, oh, look, he, I'm on the record for this, even though it doesn't do anything like basically her vote against Amy Coney Barrett, because if she had to vote yes on Amy Coney Barrett, she definitely would have, but she didn't have to. Um, you know, the other 15 senators i mean i can't really think of any because fact of the matter is we've already heard from some senators like joni Ernst from iowa who's saying that it might not be constitutional to remove him lindsey graham saying we gotta unite the countries now with their messages it's like yeah. ridiculous these people are like they're taking i mean look i'm not saying biden's playbook is a good playbook or anything but i mean you know they are taking a lot of his platitudes and saying look we gotta unite the country we gotta do this we gotta do that right after they literally incited and fueled a ginormous mob to the capital i mean again it's all for political calculation i mean that's like going to be the motif of the night um because the entire calculation of them denouncing it is is for the own good of their party but quite frankly i mean this is going off to a way different conversation i'll make this quick the republican party is in a time right now where they're going to have 
to really reevaluate their pathway forward because a lot of Republicans still like Trump. I mean, 84 percent of the party in a recent poll from Pew Research Center still believes Trump like did an amazing job and would vote for him again. Um, and he's had some of the highest numbers. I mean, before this whole thing with the insurrection, he was in the 90s for approval rating amongst Republicans, um, which is one of the highest amongst any Republican president in from his own party. I mean, I think the Democrats were actually even lower than that with Obama, to give you know a little bit of a comparison here. You know, but there's a lot of um, support for Trump. And I think the thing that is, it's going to be quite interesting because, you know, I think it's funny because the Demo- people say the Democrats are very split. And I think they are. I think they are split. I think that um, a lot of the progressives, however, have realized that, look, I think it's better for us to unite for now and then we could figure out our problems later, which I don't necessarily think is a great thing. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a uh, untactical thing to do because right now the Republican Party is going to have a massive rift. They're going to have the, the traditional Republicans, you know, which are still conservative. I'm not saying that like moderate or any type of, you know, like, let's, you know, do bipartisan work here. Or you're going to have the Trump Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, these type of wackos who, I mean, they have a lot of support. It's actually quite scary. Um, But going back to the thing now with the impeachment, I don't think it's going to be feasible. But then again, I can't say because there might be some surprises because we haven't heard from a lot of the senator. We haven't heard, for for example, we haven't heard from... um, like we haven't heard from all the senators. Like for example, um, there was one specific, oh Rob Portman from Ohio. Uh, we haven't heard from him yet as of yet. I know he mentioned that he would be open to doing something in regards to um, blocking Trump from running for office again. You know we haven't heard from a good amount of the senators. But if I had to bet on it, I would probably say it's. Like, I think there's going to be a couple of walkovers. It's probably going to be like four or five surprises. But I don't yeah. think that we're going to have fifteen surprises. Yeah, I think yeah, I definitely think like as of now, it still seems unlikely. Um, but I think the real surprise will be if Mitch McConnell comes out there and does do that vote, does kind of like stick his neck on the line, and if he is actually prepared to do that, he will like almost certainly be doing it. I think at least with another um, like large portion of Republicans. So like if he goes, there are going to be a lot of other people going with him. Definitely. I mean, I th- I actually don't. I would have to agree with you there because I think some of the more hesitant Republicans who were already on the fence with the whole idea of Trumpism in their party – I mean I'm not necessarily saying Mitch McConnell was hesitant. I think deep down inside, I think he definitely was a bit worried about what Trump would do to the party because you know it – Quite frankly, I mean, Mitch McConnell was, I mean, I hate to say this guy's like, what, 80-something years old, but I mean, he was the face of the Republican Party for years. And, you know, Trump then came in and he basically became the face himself. And, well, yeah, Mitch McConnell basically did the obstructionist agenda Yeah, well, he definitely, he doesn't care about being just like the face. Like, he cares about, you know, like, get like the the behind the scenes stuff, getting the judges in there, keeping the corporations happy, I think. It's not about like being the face, is it? But, and also so that like things go on smoothly. Yeah, and I think what I meant by that is like he wants yeah. to have like a lot of power. That that's what I meant um, by that. And like I think the one thing I will say Honestly, though is that the thing is I think he is content to give up some power and some time in the spotlight at least. I mean maybe some power as well if it means the overall goals can still be served. Because he I think he like more than anybody else, especially in the Democratic Party, he is like super ideologically committed to uh, a certain set of principles. You know, they're not good. Yeah, I would agree with that. He definitely is like laser focused on basically being an obstructionist um, and getting his own way, basically. 
Um, but I, I mean, look, I will say if Mitch McConnell actually goes forward and, and does vote for impeachment, I, I you know, again, that kind of goes back to what I said, the four or five Republican senators surprises um, because, you know, we haven't heard from Tom Tillis. We haven't heard from um, we haven't heard from Susan Collins. I ever mentioned her. We haven't heard from um, Steve Daines from Montana. We haven't heard from a lot of these more. Um, traditional Republicans then obviously went over to Trumpism. Um, but in their roots, they really are kind of like Mitch McConnell-style um, Republicans. Now, the Republicans, I can definitely tell you from from right now, who definitely would not vote for impeachment is definitely like Tommy Tuberville in Alabama. Um, uh, the lady from Mississippi, I forgot her name already, she voted for um, – she voted against the Pennsylvania electors as well. The new guy Roger Wicker in um, Kansas definitely won't because like these people were – these people came in under Trump. They basically ran with a with a Trump-style agenda. I mean they're basically – you know, I, I hate to say it, but they basically are kissing Trump's ass every time they're in um, you know, office. I mean Tommy Tuberville is a really good example of that. I mean he's an idiot. I mean he was like, oh, we should delay yeah. the in- – like the entire inauguration, even though it's like the date is written in the constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is a, he, he really just, yeah, it's very clear that he came kind of from another, he's not a guy who's like a Harvard law educated and like not saying that that's a bad thing because Harvard law educated people are like mostly very bad people, but yeah. he is not like the kind of the fixture of a like typical politician. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. But like, there is an interesting thing going on here about the kind of democratic response to this, with people like Nancy Pelosi and uh, Hillary Clinton saying, uh, in a very memorable and I think like just insane clip uh, on her podcast, by the way, which even now Hillary Clinton has a podcast, um, really insane kind of clip uh, today, uh, talking about RussiaGate and Putin um, possibly like being behind this attack here at the Capitol. So let's take a look and listen to this audio and I will summarize it here for James who can't hear it after. We learned a lot about our system of government over the last four years with uh, a president who disdains democracy and as you have said numerous times has other agendas. What they all are I don't think we yet know. I hope Historically, we will find out who he's beholden to, who pulls his strings. Uh, I would love to see his phone records to see whether he was talking to Putin the day that uh, the insurgents Mm -hmm. uh, invaded our capital. But we now know that not just him, but his enablers, his accomplices, his cult members have the same disregard for democracy. Do you think we need a a 9-11 type commission to investigate and report everything that they can pull together and explain what happened? I do. Uh, Let me, again, uh, to your point of who is he beholden to, as I've said over and over, as I said to him in that picture with my blue suit, as I was leaving, what I was saying to him as I was pointing rudely at him, (laughs) with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. I don't know what Putin has on him politically, financially, or personally. Yeah, so just like the really, like the one of the biggest moments of the picture that you may see a lot if you're on Twitter is the p- picture of Pelosi standing up in the blue, blue suit. That big moment of resistance is about Vladimir Putin, as we found out here. Um, so Clinton said that she agreed with Pelosi that Congress should create a panel similar to the 9-11 Commission to investigate what happened on January 6th and whether there are any connections with the president and Russia were possible. And this and also the kind of like democratic desire to weirdly create like the new... Um, that we're like we are even just starting to see the possibility of like domestic terrorism laws and like the further expansion of the security state like 
not like it is um, super, super, like, cr- crazy already. Like, that would be um, something that I do worry about. Do you think Do you think those concerns are at all justified? With the increase of the security state, you're saying? Yeah, or Russia or anything that the, some uh, liberals are saying here. Um, well, see, one thing I will say um, in regards to you talking about Russia – Looking at us, or you're talking or, about or Russia? Looking... Possibly, like what what Hillary Clinton was alleging, what some other people uh, were kind of saying that we need to have this uh, expansion on and this kind of crackdown um, and treat like these Americans almost like we like dealt with the terrorists and the war on terror. Um, do you think that is a justified and good response? Uh, either of those two points, or or no? No, I don't because it directly goes against a lot of the constitutional rights of surveillance. Um, I mean, kind of sounds a lot like the Patriot Act right now. Yeah, over but like people, what she's like, I about. believe like someone like uh, I'm not sure it was either Abigail Spanberger. I don't know if she said this uh, oh, specifically, <laughs> but she she did say that we need to have a, like a Patriot Act 2.0. She actually used those words wow. to say that, and people don't realize the fact that the Patriot Act gets renewed in Congress, bipartisan, like massive votes every time, uh, and it's the same people who like Adam Schiff always leads the charge, and he's. On Rachel Maddow saying that Russia has taken control of our government and taken control of Trump. Here, let's give him unprecedented spying powers on Americans. Like that is, like that is the logic that they're dealing with here, and it's really, really is something. And yeah, that's like just the that is the mindset that like so many liberals have had, and that's just part of embracing like the whole Trump Russia culture has, I think, seeped into the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do say though. I mean, I would have to say that. Um, the Russians were pretty um, – well, Trump – I mean, look, there's a whole big thing. I mean, this is going to go front for hours, actually, this, this topic right now about Russia and the Republicans because there is actually a big connection between them. I know a lot of – a lot of my progressive friends, not necessarily you, Spencer, but like a lot of people who I know who are progressive, you don't really want to address it. But, I mean, there is a big problem with Russia in regards to its infiltration in the Republican Party. Look at Dana Rohrabacher. California's 48th Congressional District Congressman. They literally called him Putin's little congressman for a reason. He was taking millions upon millions of dollars from Russia. Um, he was having you know, private meetings with people. Michelle Steele, who is now the congressman from that congressional district, she hosted Harley Rauda. Her husband, Sean Steele, hosted Russian and Chinese ambassadors who wanted to try to infiltrate the u.s political system there's a lot of problems with russia i'm not going to deny that yeah i mean i I really don't think like the surveillance is not the answer yeah there are definitely a lot of these like incidents but it's really not i think just such a bad political tack to take um all right i do want to say i just found a great uh clip that i do do want to play for a little bit later but we do have to move on now uh to joe biden and his plan for his first 10 days uh, in office and what he's going to do, some of his priorities. Um, so here is what we said. we we'll just go through them real quick and respond and see what he has going on. So in terms of responding, it's his act alone, his first day of office, January 20th. Here are some of the, some of the highlights he's going to do. Uh, issue a mask mandate on federal property and interstate travel. St- extend nationwide restrictions on home evictions and foreclosures. Those are two two good things. I mean, the first one doesn't really matter for most people, but the, the next one's very, very important. Continue to pause student loan payments and push for the pa- passage of the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package announced last week. And here is the part 
that I think we have to highlight in big red letters because this is the key part of the Biden plan. Like we know that the two thousand bill, $2,000 bill passed in the House. And I mean, I do think that there is a probably a, a not insignificant group of Democrats who are like, let's just hope this dies in the Senate because I, mean, I, I they wouldn't be at least they wouldn't be mad if it died in the Senate because they just don't want to do it. Um, because what what happens? Joe Biden gets in the office. Uh, Warnock and Ossoff win. Democrats have control of the Senate. Great. What do they immediately do? Joe Biden releases a plan with fourteen hundred dollars because six hundred plus fourteen hundred now equals two thousand. And if that is not only not only is it less money, but it is just the epitome of sliminess, the epitome of why people hate politicians and the Democratic Party especially. Um, and that is just a really bad way. Uh, to continue to win elections in a surprising and pretty impressive way like the Democrats just did in Georgia. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that what was said was, was not correct. I think it definitely was cutting corners. However, one thing I will say is is that bill that passed the House, the $2,000 bill, um, I know Chuck Schumer is going to put it up on the floor. I'm not saying, oh, Biden, you should get the fast pass here. I, I agree that, you know... I don't think it's necessarily good. Well, I don't think it's good at all. It's a lie because it's really what it is. It's lying. Um, you, you know, you're going to voters. You're, you're enticing them, you know, with a non-existent delivery of a, a promise that now is, you know, again, <laughs> I call Biden the platitude machine because here we go again. It's another good example of it. Go out and vote. You'll get your $2,000 checks. Well, gee, thanks, Joe. But where the hell are my $2,000 checks? You just said, you know, if I go out and vote, I mean, you know, it's almost as if like they think, oh, because they got the $600, which by the way, a lot of people are actually having problems right now with getting that money because the um, Mnuchin is purposely delaying that. I don't know if you saw that article the other day. Also, the unemployment part of it is really ineffective because the state machines are also very old. That's why direct payments have a huge benefit to them in terms of getting cash to like people in a big way very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I'm upset that, you know, he thinks that it's okay to, to take the, the corners. However, what I will say I am happy about, and I'm not trying to say, oh, let's cut the corners here and just, like, end the conversation about that because I am upset. One thing I will say that I am happy about is that at least the bill in the House already got passed because I don't know if you saw a lot of those um, Biden's um, appointees have started to resign from the House, like Deb Holland, Marsha Fudge. And uh, Cedric Richmond have already resigned from the House, which they only like now the Democrats only have one seat majority, which is like ridiculously crazy to think of. Um, but now it goes on to Chuck Schumer. Um, and, you know, unless um, Josh Hawley actually goes over and, you know, Joe Manchin is supposedly now is on the, you know, he's open to it. I don't know what that guy is even saying. Half the time he says he's for it, then he says he's not for it. It's like, I don't know what the hell he's even thinking half the time because I don't know if you remember when he was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then like two yeah, hours and it's later. It's going to be a very interesting like indication of the, the presidency, the Biden, pre- the future of the Biden presidency as to how he interacts with Joe Manchin in this kind of a Senate right yeah. off the bat um, in a big way there. Yeah, it's just like, absolutely. I, I hope that uh, House bill gets through and they do something about that. But the, if they, if, and it's not, I can't get too mad officially because it's not set in stone yet. But yeah. if they do go past that, like, absolute BS 1400 plus 600 equals 2000, like, crap, <laughs> like, that is just such an embarrassing, embarrassing thing because it's like you're lying to not only, like, Georgians, but, like, the entire Democratic base. It's a really, really bad thing there. So, and there is a lot of other good things in the 1.9 COVID relief package uh announced last week and 
so that's that's kind of a shame. But the fact is that you don't even have to put it in there. You just pass the the Cash Act, I believe it was called, in the House. That's what they passed. Um, like it's just yeah. such a dumb dumb thing to do. Um, here are some other good ones. There. Um, on the day one, he will overturn the. Uh, rejoin actually the Paris Climate Agreement and end the so-called Muslim ban on travel, which restricted, the, of course, the Muslim majority countries. Um, and they had to add a few because the Supreme Court made it to to look like it wasn't just completely racist. Um, Klein also said the president-elect would continue to roll out other executive actions throughout the first two weeks of his new administration. So he is, yeah, going to also be rejoining the World Health Organization. The interesting one here, immigration. He's going to send a bill to Congress for legislative immigration reform, pretty moderate approach, uh, that will modernize our immigration uh, system and give nearly 11 million undocumented immigrants a roadmap to citizenship. So it's a pretty good approach. It's not a crazy... um, um, It's not a crazy thing by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like open... Like, it's not... Of course, they will say it, but they're not. They can't really say like this is open borders, like craziness, you know. Um, but it is. We'll get to that in a minute. I do want to talk a little bit more about that. But climate change, signing executive order to formulate a plan to achieve 100% clean energy economy and net zero emissions by 2050. So pretty hollow stuff looking there. Uh, also, repeal the transgender ban uh, on the military enacted by President Trump, which is pretty good. Uh, environment. Exa- would be to enact an executive order to conserve 30% of America's lands and waters by 2030. So that's always good. But immigration. So it looks like the first big legislative fight here is going to be immigration. What do you think about that in terms of... I, I don't think it's the right move. I really don't. And just based on the priorities going on right now. And I'm saying not saying that immigration is shouldn't be something that's addressed. And it seems like an all right plan the Biden administration put forward. But why are we starting with that of all things right off the bat? It seems a little weird. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I think the one thing is um, when I think about it now, I agree with you, by the way, that I don't think I think in my opinion, you know, just to put out what I would do first is, I mean, he started with the environment. Why not continue? And also, by the way, that 2050 thing, I agree, it is very nonchalant. It's very shallow. Yes, it's completely hollow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, we got to do it before 2050. I think. Um, well, actually, no. He, funny enough, actually, was that just the energy grid? Because his plan—let's uh, see if he's lying for a second time. His plan on his website said that he was going to do zero um, emission energy grid by 2030. But is this the entire net zero like, emissions by 2050? Uh, okay, then energy. he is following his plan. Okay, I mean that's still very late. But getting back to the point, I think immigration. I think when I think about why he wants to do it now is I think because he is definitely worried about losing the house in 2022 2022 in the senate the democrats actually might gain one or two seats just because the map is very favorable for them um but the house is not looking too good um and i think you know if i were him i would not do it immediately i mean you have two years with with a, a trifecta basically i think what he wants to do i think he wants to get this done now because i think he knows it's going to take a long time but i think with the, the first with the immigration yeah, I think he thinks it's going to be a long battle. But I, why? I, does, I, like, why is this the battle that we got to fight now? Like, in terms of what Americans are going to be deciding on when they go to the ballot box in twenty twenty two, like immigration, especially for the Democratic base, and just for American people, considering the fact that we're in just a massive crisis, is not going to be at the top of the agenda. I don't think. You know, I I agree. I think the thing at the top of the agenda right now is to get uh, relief that, well, quite frankly, has to come. That they have, you know, they've. 
said will be coming, but they haven't actually brought it out, or at least, you know, good enough relief, because the $600 stuff is really not that good. But I, I think the main thing that he's trying to focus on is, you know, I'm trying to get a little bit of a, a non-biased approach, or if, if I were to announce outside or I think what he's trying to do is I think he's trying to get this done first because he knows it's going to take a while. Because, look, immigration is a very divisive issue for some reason amongst Democrats and Republicans now. Republicans want to do an incredibly amount, a large amount of spending, which, by the way, is funny because everything in regards to relief, we've got to worry about the debt. But when we give out bailouts to corporations and we want to build a wall, oh, no question ask. We'll get the money right there for you ASAP. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things I think, but I, I don't, I don't agree that we should do immigration first. I think immigration should be more towards the middle after we get the coronavirus and the vaccine, by the way, horrible vaccine rollout that we've have it, had in this country so far. So quite frankly, I don't really know why he's doing this first. I think the only thing I can really think of is that he wants to get this done, um, quickly and he thinks it's going to take a long time. Yeah, and I mean, you can't really, it's definitely not going to happen quickly, because that is one thing that the Republicans will be 100% united on, is stopping uh, some sort of immigration, because that is one thing their base does not like. Although there are some corporate elements that are okay with it, but it's definitely not enough to to really get through uh, with the pressure of the base on it. So, also, Biden will be relying on Congress to approve many of his initiatives he aims to accomplish for the first 100 days. Um, nothing too crazy in here. Um, he is going to try and pass the Equality Act, a bill to add more protections for LGBT Americans. Um, the, after the FBI studies the loopholes in the gun background check system, Biden said he would like to ask Congress to close the loopholes and also repeal liability protection for gun manufacturers, which would allow Americans to sue gun, the gun industry if a gun is used in a crime. He said he also wants to restructure federal agencies that oversee gun law. So it does, definitely looks like he's coming out of the gate here a little bit more aggressive than Obama was and a little bit a little bit tilting a little bit more towards the uh, the bipartisan. And also, but we're going to have to keep a close eye on this and how it goes, because as soon as you, there's always another layer under the onion there with the two thousand dollar checks. That's great. But there's this. That's what the Democratic Party like. That's the joy of the Democratic Party there for you. Like there's always another layer of just like, oh, OK, like, for example, in the minimum wage, they're going to get the $15 minimum wage, which probably at this point should be at least tied to inf- inflation is arguably like really low. Uh, and the fact that people are like already saying that this is going to be over, oh, we're going to push it back to 2027, like, which is like, come on. That is just such a like me, like just disappointing and deflating thing uh, when you see that happening in a lot of different areas. Um, yeah, it's just like, do you think. How are you feeling about like the 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 Biden administration as we get ready for it in the future? I mean, I'm not too upset to be honest. I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by some of his ambitions in regards to what he's trying to get passed. Um, now, in regards to his fifteen dollar minimum wage, I think that's going to be a major roadblock. I think he's going to have to either do an executive order or get that done with because, um, unless Joe Manchin, I mean, look, I. <laughs> I, I know that you disagree whenever anyone says it's a roadblock, but I mean, you got to admit, Spencer, Joe Manchin, it does control the Senate right now. 
he is a conservative Democrat. He's against a lot of things that, quite frankly, he should be for. West Virginia has some of the lowest poverty, well, not lowest, I mean, one of the highest poverty rates in the entire country, yet he's still on the fence with a $15 minimum wage. He didn't say he's against it, but he said he would have to really take a deep uh, consideration into it and see how it would affect his state, which obviously would affect his state quite well. But I think he, the $15 minimum wage doesn't have to do executive order. I think he doesn't think he's going to have to do it by sneaking it in to a bill. Um, like, for example, that $15 minimum wage was in the COVID-19 relief bill that he did on the $1.9 trillion bill that he sent over to Congress a couple days ago. Well, he has drafted up and some senators already have received it. But I think he doesn't realize that if the Republicans he's working with aren't the Republicans he was working with in the early 2000s, late 90s. Like, for example, And even Lindsay then, Grant. they completely, like, tore him up. So the the things are yeah. looking very good. Yeah, but I will say the one thing is that like he's not dealing with like John McCain Republicans anymore. He's dealing with Trump Republicans, and then not like Lindsey Graham. He always talks about for some reason. Even though they may have worked together in the past, I can guarantee you they're not going to work together whatsoever nowadays. The agenda differences is incredibly apparent. I mean, it is a massive difference between both the agendas. Um, I mean, quite frankly, I will say a lot of Biden's agendas definitely have turned a little bit more liberal than I would have thought they would have given, you know, his past record of being relatively centrist and not really too much doing anything of anything. I mean, he basically is just like, let me just go across the aisle and do like whatever they want to do and just make it seem more liberal than it actually is. I mean, it's really basically what he did. But I mean, so far, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by some of his ambitions and some of his plans, environments, and his environmental plan, I'm very surprised on. I'm quite, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised about. I'm also happy with his appointments to the Department of Interior, Environmental Protection Agency, amongst others, Secretary of Treasury, um, amongst others. But there's definitely some that, um, there's some things about him that are a little bit distasteful and leave a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Like Pete Budek, um, but a excuse me, not Budek, but a as I call him, he's a little, little nickname I got there for him. In the Department of Transportation, makes absolutely zero sense. Actually, Spencer and I were talking about this earlier. The Deputy Transportation Secretary is a former Department of Transportation Secretary for New York City. I mean, it, it is crystal clear that he put him there to elevate him. Same with Gino Raimondo in the Secretary of Commerce. Absolutely awful governor of Rhode Island. Um, you know, the, the, there are definitely no, things I think that the, I, I think the Gina Raimondo thing makes a lot more sense considering how pro-business she is being put in the, in, in the like a really important position like the, the Secretary of Commerce uh, would be, I think, very sensible. But the thing with like the, the biggest justifications that they had for them, like Pete Buttigieg and Biden's team was like when he was younger, Pete loved to ride the bus. He really appreciated it. That's why he's going to make a great secretary of public transportation. Like that's the best they had in terms of why he should be a transportation secretary in such an important time. And also like a time where there's a lot that could be done with the right Democratic administration in terms of revitalizing and actually just vitalizing in the first place a real transportation system in American cities, which is so bad compared to everybody else. So. Like in the fact that they put him there, just like just like literally everything else on his like resume, like going to the military, for example, is just a complete, complete like career builder, like resume badge kind of thing, and that's it. Just really uh, a, kind of a yeah. perfect thing uh, from the cabinet. But we will now move on to what's going on in the Senate. Senate leaders Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell have yet to strike an agreement on how to run an evenly split Senate, and McConnell is driving a hard bargain. 
uh, no surprise. So, and let's see how the uh, Senate Democrats here cave. They want a majority. They have also an opportunity to possibly maybe give it up. Will it be tempting enough for them to take it? Um, and even do they need to make this power sharing agreement? Like James, what? Like, do they even need to do this? So actually, I was reading the power sharing agreement. It's actually not anything at all. It's all that it states. From what I read, I, I got a little bit over uh, ahead of myself here. Chuck Schumer released a statement. I also read a different article. So when a committee is tied in a vote, the Democrats will have like the win basically in the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats okay. will hold. They will run the committee. They will run the schedule. Chuck Schumer will be the majority leader. That's literally. I mean, that, that's that was the entire power sharing agreement. Now, just to go back on one other point quickly. I'll get back to this. In regards to Gina Romano, the only thing I don't really care about Gina Romano is she had an awful, awful COVID nineteen response in Rhode Island. And yeah, I, I agree. She has a you know a very pro business background, but I, I still would have to disagree that that she is is someone who I am. I I mean, she's a lot like you know the people who. She's like a Ron DeSantis of the North, I think. I mean, she's very dumb, but she went to Yale, she went to Harvard, and she went to all these very good top schools. But I don't think she's very intelligent. Yeah, she has a pro-business background. Yeah, she endorsed Bloomberg, this and that. I, I still don't necessarily think that she she's the best for the commerce, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Biden I'm not saying like that is butt. a – I'm not saying like that's – the ideally the pick would have been like someone who's like very supportive of business interests in a place that has, of course, a lot of control over – uh, business and regulation and just how the economy moves. Uh, and previously, of, of course, run by Wilbur Ross, who probably, I just, yeah. this is a little bit of a side, but he may have had the worst COVID, like, like head-banging comment um, now that we, like, know more about it. I think he said, like, before the shutdown happened, but he's like, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but I think this is going to lead to a lot of jobs in America because the Chinese economy will be hurt so badly. Like, yeah, I mean, like, oh, my goodness, like that is a horrific thing to look back on in in video there. So but anyway, back to the back to the power sharing agreement. Um, Yeah, it, it does seem like there will. The, the good thing is there will be a, um, a, a pretty good chance that the Democrats will be able to win on most things. It's not like now the Republicans have some control of the Senate like New York uh, under the IDC <laughs> with Cuomo. Yeah. Um, but. Now we have a little bit of a hinge point in this agreement, which is the filibuster. So to preserve the legislative filibuster as part of their agreement governing the rules of the 50-50 Senate, um, he, uh, McConnell wants Schumer to commit to that. Uh, he said while he is taking his cues from the last Senate split in 2001, he also believes we need to address the threats to the legislative filibuster. The time is ripe to address this issue on before uh, head on before uh, the passions of one particular issue or another arise. A delay in reaching an argument could delay the final determination of committee assignments, but it's important to maintain the status quo of the legislative filibuster. So what do you make about this? How important is the filibuster, and what should Chuck Schumer do here about this? Well, the the filibuster, in my opinion, I think is actually, I mean, I think that it is something that we should keep, but we shouldn't necessarily have it with the powers that we have right now. We definitely need to reform the filibuster. And I think what Chuck Schumer should be doing here is, first off, I believe the number of votes you need to end a filibuster is 60 votes, if I'm correct. I don't know if Mitch McConnell butchered that. He might have, for all I know. Um, now it might be 50 votes. Um, and I think what they should really do is if it's not at 50 votes, they should move it to 50 votes to end a filibuster because, uh, you know, I, I we already know what's going to happen. We're going to have Ted Cruz walking in with his little, you know, children's book like he did a while ago. Yeah, Green Eggs Reading and Reading stories. 
I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous what's going to happen. We we know what's going to happen. They're going to pull up anything, and and they don't have any arguments against it. So they're just going to filibuster the bill to death. So I think what we get, they got to do is, if Chuck Schumer that is really should do is he should focus on making sure that the filibuster votes that will, the votes that are needed to end the filibuster are lowered to a feasible amount, which is fifty. Um, because then they can end filibusters and get the bills actually moving because that's what really halts everything in the Senate. And again, we don't want Mitch McConnell to have any power. We won the Senate fair and square, and we don't need that little you know, uh, turtle to have any more power in the Senate than he's already had for the last six years. We've seen what he's done. He's damaged the country. We don't need him to have any single speck of power ever again for now, you know? Yeah, that is a very, like, it's a very, very intimidating and very important thing. Like, I say, like, go ahead, but, like, at least you've got to change it back before the next election like you got to hold the vote on that to change it just put put it back in there real quick like that is what you got to do um but i mean i guess they could just undo it but that's their prerogative that's why you got to keep the senate and that's what can happen but i really do think it's going to be hard to get anything done because the obstruction is going to be off the chart so even if they don't do it right off the bat they probably will have to at some point because the the obstruction is going to be super super high um because that's what like that's what they did last time why not do that, but way, way worse with Joe Biden. Um, all right, so we now do get to uh, change gears and have a little bit of fun because we are talking about Trump. And by the way, before I uh, get into this, I do want to just pr- uh, promo a little bit. Very, very exciting episode this Thursday where we have Donnie Rivetto joining the show to t- like review everything Trump over the last four years. Some of the biggest highlights, some of his lasting accomplishments, if you could call him that. Uh, and obviously, mostly catastrophic failures. Um, for example, the COVID crisis, and also some of his just craziest moments from a presidency, really unlike anything else. And yeah, so this is a great piece here from Axios. And so, I do want to get into uh, President Trump? He was sitting in the Oval Office one day late November when a call came from lawyer Sidney Powell, uh, and he goes, "Ugh, Sidney," he told the staff in the room before he picked it up. She's getting a little crazy, isn't she? She's really got to tone it down. No one believes this stuff. It's just too much. He put on the call on a speakerphone for the benefit of his audience, and Powell was raving about a national security crisis involving Iranians flipping votes in battleground states. Trump pressed mute and laughed and said, So what are we going to do about it, Sidney? Trump would say every every few seconds, whipping Powell angrier and angrier, and, uh, just in, he was completely having fun with it. And just goes, she really is crazy, huh? Uh, <laughs> he said, and again, putting his finger on the mute button. Um, and it is, again, this is really paints a picture of, like, not just the, the mental image of that going on is incredibly funny to me. But the, the, this really just paint a mental image of Trump just sitting back there. And really what he's doing is stoking the flames that are, like, encircling our, like, normal, peaceful transition to power. And that is, that is, I think, like, the perfect state that he's recognizing. It's not like he is a true believer. He's definitely not. Like, he knows he's conning these people out of, like, their, like, in some cases, their literal freedom and their, like, safety. But, like, he doesn't care, and he thinks it's funny, and he thinks it's great. Yeah. And I think that, um... That was of Sydney Powell, correct? Yeah, Sydney Powell. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but she's getting sued by that company. But yeah, the, by know, the Amber million, Gertz, yeah. right? And of course, this whole thing—I mean, it was—it was—it's just insane what what happened over the last three months with Sydney Powell and with Trump, and even with Rudy Giuliani now saying he won't be the uh, lawyer during the impeachment trial. I mean, there, were, there was a lot of craziness going on with this whole thing, and I, I honestly think that. 
I mean, it, it's it's quite astonishing how she, like she, for example, got away with a lot of the things she was saying because I mean, she was. I mean, first off, <laughs> she said to you know during the press conference, like, don't go out and vote in the Georgia Senate runoff because it will be fraudulent. And there were very little amount of Republicans who came out and said, no, you're wrong. It was only like the Georgia Republicans who came out and said that. And I just thought yeah. that was interesting because, you know, she had a lot of power and yeah, like Trump didn't say anything. I mean, Trump even, I think, went on Twitter a couple of days before the runoff saying like, this is going to be fraud as well. Um, you know, like he delivered the Senate to the Democrats basically by just saying that. I mean, I think also the Democrats work also helped them get in big margins. I'm not saying, oh, think, let's thank Trump all for it. Yeah, I because think, yeah, like, like the big reason was Republican turnout was down in some of these yeah. like like the northern parts of Georgia. I believe like Marjorie Taylor Greene's district was like the turnout was like way down, and probably because their representative was like the election. I mean, I, I actually I don't know what she said about it. Like, would she did she? Oh, she just wacky about it. She was like, "It's fraud. Trump is going to be our president in four years. Don't worry about it. Like for the next four years, don't worry." Like she was actually like on the Trump train, like all along she's the one who's actually putting up impeachment articles so tomorrow in the yeah House. so she was saying was she saying don't vote or not specific like she was just implying that she was saying no she's the thing is she never explicitly said don't vote in the runoff site we'll give you that mm-hmm. she never said that yeah. but she definitely did hint on the fact that it looked like georgia like screwed up like i don't understand why these people in georgia are doing like she basically like didn't say it but she was definitely hinting like everything in georgia's fraud yeah so that was the very, very weird, um, <laughs> very, very weird, weird cast of characters. And this is where again, reporting here from Axios about who he's kind of surrounding himself here in the final days. Um, but yeah, so we're saying, but he was increasingly, uh, becoming increasingly desperate about losing to Joe Biden. And Powell and her crew were willing to keep feeding the grand lie. Uh, that the election could be overturned. They were selling Trump a seductive but delusional vision, a clear and achievable path to victory. Their only catch is he'd have to stop listening to his government and campaign staffs to cross the Rubicon and view them as liars, quitters, and traitors. And that was kind of the phrase that a lot of these people who were storming the Capitol were, were kind of um, batting around, was the, the crossing of the Rubicon phrase, where people, I, like, I literally saw people like on Parler or whatever just being like, I thought he was going to make this big crossing the Rubicon moment at the Capitol when he told us all to go march down there. But instead, he was talking about Oprah most of the time. Like, like that is what they thought. They thought it was going to be a big moment. He was going to, like, finally reveal to them the conspiracy that they all knew to be true. And, like, that was going to be the big moment. Uh, so Trump's new gang of advisors shared some common traits. There were sycophants who craved an audience with the president. There were hardcore conspiracy theorists. The other striking commonality within the crew is that all of them had, at one point in their lives, done impressive professional mainstream work. People like Rudy Giuliani, uh, Michael Flynn, he was a decorated um, three-star general. Uh, Powell was a pretty successful attorney. Um, Obama, uh, yeah, Obama obviously fired Flynn. Lynn Wood was a nationally known defamation lawyer. And Patrick Byrne made a small fortune on the internet retailer, Overstock.com. Uh, Jenna Ellis, who's the legal um, advisor for Trump, she was kind of an exception uh, she was actually anti-Trump, but during Trump's presidency, she, she pretty much went back <laughs> into the uh, through just some insane TV appearances. Um, Powell and Woods distinguished themselves with their extremism, uh, and Giuliani even began distancing himself, telling him that uh, anyone who listened to Powell didn't represent the uh, the president. But Trump promoted Powell as part of the team, and even though he privately admitted to Ace that she thought she was crazy, he still wanted to hear what she had to say. So, what do you what do you think this says? 
uh, about like the Trump mindset and like what use does it have going forward? Um, can you repeat the mindset? Like, like what, like what use does this information do? Do you think what does this tell you about like, what Trump's going to do? Yeah, in the future. Here? Well, first of all, I think Trump's. In the, I mean, he is. Look, one thing I'm going to say about Trump is he's going to be in the in the spotlight, whether or not we like it or not. I mean, he's he's going to be trying to to run the Republican Party in his own way. I mean, I even heard talks that he might be making his own political party called the Patriot Party. I don't think that's actually going to happen. Yeah, that is out on the news tonight. Really kind of interesting, but don't really know too yeah, much about it. Yeah, but I think. He's going to definitely. I'm going to tell you one thing. He's going to make a lot of crap for the Republicans because yes. he's going to be endorsing a lot of Trump candidates. Like, for example, Chris Kobach delivered delivered the Kansas governor's mansion to the Democrats with Laura Kelly. Will he do it again in 2022? Most definitely, because Chris Kobach said that he most likely will run again for that seat. Um, will the Republicans in Kansas um, bow down to it? We don't know. Um, but the thing I definitely will say is. The whole thing of Trump, you know, trying to just leave public light is not actually going to happen. He's going to endorse candidates in 2022. They're going to cause they're going to cause major rifts in the Republican Party that will deliver or you know may deliver big wins for the Democrats because the party's going to be divided. I mean, you're going to have the wing of the party that likes Trump a lot, and you're going to have the Republican Party that part of the party, even though that may be a minority. Who doesn't like Trump? But look, if they if if half of those minority um, amount, like the minority amount of voters who don't like Trump, go over and actually vote for Democrats, they're just going to be delivering things. I'm not saying that that's the method of campaigning that we should be doing. We shouldn't be necessarily doing a Biden campaign and trying to like sway over Republicans. That didn't work, obviously. But the one thing I will say is that there's going to be a big divide in the Republican Party, and Donald Trump is not going to help it at all. His future in the Republican Party is pretty much there for a while because mm-hmm. look at Arizona's GOP, for example. They censored John McCain's wife. They censored Jeff Flake, which by the way, I know Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife, never ran for public office, but John McCain and Jeff Flake were the last two besides the incumbent Republican governor to win Senate races in Arizona from the Republican Party. Martha McSally, who's literally a Trump 2.0, lost twice. Okay, and the second time she lost by a bigger margin than she did by the first, you know, which is that's embarrassing, but well deserved to be quite frank. So the Republican Party is not going the right direction in regards to them giving up Trump because they know it would be a disaster if they gave up Trump because Trump definitely would then make his own party and that would be the end of the day for the Republicans. They would not have anything really left and then they would be basically dead because of the fact that their entire energy is with Trump now. Yeah, that would be a like pretty significant pull, I think, on the Republican Party base. Oh, I agree. I mean, what? Because the whole idea that the Republicans like are going to be able to find a way to like put together two different groups, the group that likes Trump and the group that doesn't like Trump, it's impossible. I mean, there is like a, a massive, like almost cult like movement behind Trump that is is insane. I mean, it, it's it's out of this world, quite frankly. And the whole thing that the Republicans are going to really have to, I mean, they're going to have it for themselves to fix, but they're going to have to fix it themselves is that 
they're going to have to figure out what path they're going to go down. Are they going to go down the, the more traditional Republican path? Are they going to go down the Trumpism path? And that's going to be a major rift because you're going to have senators in the U.S. Senate who are going to go down the Trump path, and you're going to have senators who are going to go down the most traditional path. Yeah, I, I don't that, think I don't think we can really like predict who is you who can't know you can't predict who no i don't like if i had a bit like you know more of senators i think there are gonna be more senators going down the trump path because it's just gonna be like again politically yeah, especially especially um, in the advanced, house as well advantageous all right so yeah before we oh, do uh yeah before we do move on I, we're gonna get into some of the right-wing media response to this but before we do I just want to play this little clip from from alex jones and uh, his continued war against QAnon, trying to drive it out so he can really give himself the mantle as the, the only conspiracist in town uh, taking up his business here. Ladies and gentlemen, we are only 40 hours away from the inauguration, and it's incredible. I was wrong, and when I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong when it's in the best interest of this nation. Hugh was right. Joe Biden is going to step down at noon on January 20th, and Donald John Trump is going to be inaugurated for his second term as the 45th president. Special forces, they got into the Capitol, they got into all the other areas, they got the secret laptops with all the proof, and it's over for the deep state. It's all over. <laughs> Q is right. Q was not a pacification operation to suppress Trump voters to think everything was okay the last four years. No. Yeah, there you get the, the, the real Alex Jones conspiracy there. That's why martial laws in D.C. That's why there's 30,000 National Guard and 1,000 regular troops. That's why there's hundreds of armored vehicles and F-16s. It's why big tech censoring us was to protect the plan. I didn't trust the plan. I was wrong. And now I have to admit I'm wrong. That's right. Joe Biden will be stepping down. Yeah, so pretty much there you get the idea. Alex Jones trolling the Q people a little bit in an interesting way. Uh, so, yeah, just a little bit of an incitement of what, what's going on here. And an interesting interesting take there from Alex Jones that he is saying that Q really was a pacification operation uh, for Trump voters because, of course, he was sarcastically saying, yep, yep, that's right, Biden's going to step down. Biden's going to I'm wrong. You're right here. So, yeah, really just... Even Alex Jones getting some of the fun with the cute people here. It, it's it, absolutely insane. How you gotta wonder some of the stuff that you see on the internet. How real really is it? Um, but something that really is real is right wing propaganda. And Tucker Carlson, um, uh, a funny, fu- funny little interesting note uh, here at the top of Tuesday's political play, Politico playbook, which is pretty much the the thing that the swamp. Monitor the the best swamp monitor swamp monitoring equipment that you can have in DC journalism. Um, it's pretty much like TMZ for politics. Um, political playbook spotted George W. Bush at Tucker Carlson having dinner at a private home of a neighbor on the exclusive Gasparilla Island, Florida, where they both have homes. Playbook has displayed copious evidence of its of course many, many deep flaws, and. Uh, it's hard to, hard to really think that the authors are like, oh, it's Tucker and George Bush. How exciting. Like, that's their main thought process. But, yeah, it's really interesting to see uh, this this bind of the Republican Party. And first, like, what what do you think about Tucker in general? And what is your kind of reaction to this move, James? Well, I think that Tucker Carlson is is oh, he's a, a crazy person, I think. I think he really is out there. I think he's a lot actually like um he's definitely a right wing uh, crystal ball in my opinion i think that he says one thing but then like when it like for example 
he's against the idea of corporations being in power, yet, you know, he only attacks um, well, he actually doesn't really attack anyone, actually, for it. He gives Trump a lot of fast passes for that. Yeah, when you see, like, him on private events, like when he was debating um, Sank Uger from uh, Young Turks, <laughs> there was a whole part of the segment of the argument was campaign finance. And Tucker Carlson was basically agreeing a lot of the times with what Sank was saying. What Sank was basically saying was, we need to ban corporate money from you know being able to donate we need overturn systems united and then tucker carlson was agreeing yeah when you look at him on fox you would never ever ever be able to comprehend that that tucker carlson in that video at that political event is the same tucker carlson that you'll see every day at 7 or 8 p.m i don't know what time he comes on 7 or 8 p.m on fox news I think he's a con artist, and I don't really care for him. Now, in regards to this whole thing with George Bush, I actually this is actually news to my ear. I didn't even know about this. But one thing I will say is I definitely think he's trying to uh, make good connections. I mean he has hinted at running for office in the past. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, but he has hinted at running for office in the past. So I definitely – look – what, what I think might be here, I don't know if they have any information on what this being entailed, but it might be about possibly running for office for all I know. I know he was saying he might run back then for uh, the U.S. Senate. Um, this was like you know, three years ago he was saying that, but I don't know if that's actually going to actually end up happening. But to be honest with you, I think this is quite interesting because I never really would have imagined George Bush of all people to be talking with someone like Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I mean, really, at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff is it, it proves the fraudulent nature of Tucker Carlson in a big way because one of his best things, his favorite things to say about Trump nowadays is, I'm proud to support the only president who didn't get us into another war, which is a completely disingenuous thing because he all like completely perpetrated and made worse the conflicts that we're already in. Just because he didn't start another war doesn't mean um, he's so great, but... Then to turn around and like just wine and dine with George W. Bush, like you're all in the same club, and that's really he's a incredibly rich, rich guy through like no luck of his own. He's just lucked into the, of course, the uh, Swanson food f- um, money, and like that's like that's he's part of the elite. And there's like great old videos of him being like, well, the best thing about populism is you don't wa-, literally saying it, being like you don't want to like. Anger the peasants. You're gonna feed them, like feed them information, misinformation to calm them down, and like talk like a populist. But when real like things come around, um, you like really tone it down. And that's that's what he does best. And that's like that's his big intention. And that's clearly, I think, what this reveals uh, with this meeting. Like who's like it's all it's all one big club. The saying kind of goes there. It definitely is one big club. And you know, I there there's one thing I could just it really really angers you and I want to think about it because there's one thing I never understood about the people who go on Fox. You know, they, they, they are, let me use this word because I really, I, it gets me infuriated to think that blonde one, um, I think her name is Dana Perino or something like that. I don't know. She's on the midday news with, um, Juan and the two other guys. There's a, the two other guys are quite crazy. Greg, I think it's his name and the brown hair, not brown, like black hair guy. I forgot his name. Um, Whatever. They're like doing the midday news. Um, now, they are incredibly double standard. I mean, they were spreading these like fraud things, this and that. And then they're like saying a lot of the crap about 
how like oh blm is like so violent yet when it comes to the capital stop like the capital literally i mean i have to say you know even though blm might have torn down businesses etc this and that what they always say the insurrection at the capital is much worse and is going to last in the history books for much longer it was way more violent like the protesters there in that particular instance were like really going off and beating up everyone they saw yeah i mean that but the the other thing is they destroyed destroyed a sacred building of our democracy they rampaged into the capital and then the fact of the matter is fox wasn't really reporting on it as much as they should. I think one of the lines actually that I was reading, I, I, I'm not quoting here because I don't have the exact line, but I was reading an article about Tucker Carlson's response actually to hit back onto the hammer here of Tucker Carlson. I remember he was saying that the Capitol protest was nothing more than just a peaceful protest using their you know f- freedom of speech because given the fact of you know this entire, like that, this is before they banned Trump, so I wonder what craziness he would have said after that. But he was like, you know, um, Silicon Valley is trying to destroy the conservative voice. So they were just you know, speaking up with their voices at the Capitol today to their politicians. Like, yet when, like, I remember he was then comparing it to BLM, like, then when it was like, whenever, like, BLM destroys a, a business, there's no there's no frustration whatsoever. They get a fast pass. But when a couple of guys go to the Capitol and want to, like, talk to their politician, it's all, oh, no, big deal <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous what these people say. And, and I, I, look, there is a Connors. And the thing is, though, it's again, where's the money at? Tucker Carlson gets a lot of money for saying the crap he does because that's what the audience on Fox News wants to hear from from all their hosts, quite frankly, even Sean Hannity spreading the news that back in December, oh, Trump has a chance of winning because if they counted all the ballots correctly, um, well, Joe Biden would lose Pennsylvania, he would lose Georgia, he would lose Arizona, and he would lose Wisconsin if all the accurate ballots were counted correctly. I mean, this is just ridiculous ridiculous conspiracy theories that were being spread by these people and again you want to know why they were spreading that though is because the money is there that's where the big pot of gold is you got to spread the lies like that because that's what the fox news audience wants or else they can just go to one america news or newsmax which didn't even consider joe Biden the president elect until like five days ago so yeah it really is a very tough media eco- media ecosystem to deal with and we will be covering it in a big way. Please, again, join us Thursday for the first full day of Biden's presidency, where we will be doing none, nothing other than looking back at the president we just had and kind of really uh, capturing some of the, like, the funniest, craziest moments of a, really, a presidency unlike any other. We'll have Donnie Rivetto joining us. Very exciting stuff. So until, oh, also, by tomorrow, we do have a new uh, episode of uh, Uprising coming out as well about the fascinating fascinating way that the cia introduced the drug acid onto american shores during the cold war it'll be very interesting interesting stuff as we close out uprising back on the spencer walsh radio network thank you so much for listening we'll see you on wednesday